And so as I forgot to mention, we have Pastor Evan as our guest preacher today, and he will be coming to bring us a message from the Word of God. I invite Evan up. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, um, just in case it gets out, uh, I made a big mistake last week that I would just like to confess to you all, and hopefully you'll forgive me like my church forgave me too, where twice last week in our service I referred to the corner that we're on as the corner of Byberry and Barnaby. (laughs) Two times. And it's forever in the recording that I made that mistake. So I can't go back on it now. Like a thousand years from now, well, people will have maps of this neighborhood and then they'll find my sermon and they'll update the maps and then we'll, everyone will be very confused from there on forward. But I made a mistake, so I ask your forgiveness. And I now don't know why I made the mistake, but I'm very clear that we are at the corner of Byberry and Barbary. So thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about renewal today. My sermon is the need for renewal. And so the question I just want to ask like, us right out of the jump is, what do we, we mean when we say renewal? And I think that Mark Sayers in his book, Reappearing Church, has a good understanding of what renewal is. It's a two-part definition. He says that renewal is the refreshment, release, and advancement that individuals groups, churches, and cultures experience when they are aligned with God's presence. And secondly, it's the resumption, which I didn't know what that meant, so I had to look it up, which means beginning something again after a pause. So the resumption of our God-given purpose to partner with God fully, participating in his plan to flood the world with his presence. Renewal It's a time in history when God's people have experienced God's presence in a profound way on a small scale and sought to participate and partner with God as he pours out his presence on the large scale. And the large scale, what we might often refer to as revival. And Mark Sayers, when he defines revival, he he says it's renewal gone viral. Right? So when we talk about renewal, we're talking about this profound sense of God's presence. And what I want us to realize today is that renewal comes when we better understand the truth about God and ourselves. That's when renewal will come to us. As we understand the truth about God and ourselves. So I'll talk about the need for renewal, and then I want to talk about how renewal must be God-driven and renewal must be God-centered. So let's first look at the need for renewal. So we're going to read John 3, 16 to 21. I'm going to read that. That's our text for today. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Renewals need it because of our unbelief and love for the darkness. After the Old Testament was finished, there was about a 400-year gap where God didn't speak to his people in the same way as he had been through Scripture and the prophets. And there's this sense of agony that the people are experiencing uh, before the time of Jesus. First, they're oppressed by the Greeks, and that's challenging in its own right. And then they're oppressed by the Romans, and then they're kind of semi-oppressed by the Roman, the Roman puppet governor of Herod. And so they're kind of, they're experiencing this oppression, and God's presence not, isn't necessarily there in the same way. It's really interesting, and the, the first temple gets built, and God's, it says that God's presence, his glory, descends on the temple. That temple gets destroyed. The second temple is built, and never, they never talk about God's presence descending on the temple. So there's this feeling like God's presence isn't necessarily being experienced in the same way. And so they're feeling this sense of agony, they're feeling this gap, they're feeling this, this tension, and then God himself comes. And that's what John chapter 1 tells us, that God himself comes. The word is made flesh and dwells among us in his son Jesus. And again, God's people begin to feel, begin to experience a sense of his presence in a f- profound way. This time, though, it's not through words and scripture, but through the word. Jesus. And God comes and dwells with his people in Jesus, and Jesus teaches, and he heals, and he turns water into wine, or if you're Baptist, water into grape juice. And then, that was a joke, guys. There's no (laughs) Presbyterians. He turns water into wine in John chapter 2, and John chapter 3, after Jesus is renewing people left and right, that a religious leader comes to him. And a religious leader's name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he wants to know more. And he wants, he's yearning to hear more from Jesus. And Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and he talks to Nicodemus about being born again, which is Nicodemus is understandably confused about how that could happen. And then Jesus talks, then shifts into this story from the book of Numbers where God's people were judged by being bitten by poisonous serpents. And in that story, Moses makes a bronze serpent and puts it up on a pole. And whoever looks at the serpent, the bronze serpent, were healed and saved. So then Jesus tells Nicodemus, in the verses right before the ones we just read, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I'm not sure how you feel right now, but I personally feel like I could be renewed. I personally need to experience God's presence in a profound way. And as I look around the world around us, I look around the church around us, and, and the God's people around us, it's clear to me that God's people need to be renewed too. We need this experience, this sense of God's, God's presence in a profound way. But the interesting thing is that corporate renewal does not happen without personal renewal. Corporate renewal does not happen without personal renewal. Christians, we can oftentimes be really good at pointing the finger 
at our culture and telling them they need to clean up their act. But we forget what our moms told us. When you point one finger at someone else, there's how many pointing back at you? Three pointing back at you. And so in many ways, we need to make our beds, we need to clean our rooms before we can tell the world to clean up theirs. And I believe God is doing something with the church in America and across the world. Not sure what it is, and thankfully it's in his hands and not mine. But if it's renewal, this profound sense of God's presence, we need to want it for our own lives, want it for our own churches before we can expect it from our culture and our world. So if we want the culture to be more centered on Jesus, the question we need to ask ourselves is my, is my life centered on Jesus? If we want culture to be more morally upstanding and more morally upright, the question is, is my life marked by repentance and obedience to God's word? Or if we want the Holy Spirit to flood our nation, the question I need to ask myself is, does my prayer life involve me earnestly asking God to pour out the Holy Spirit on my heart and in my life. So we cannot expect to find corporate renewal if we aren't seeking personal renewal. And so at the time of Jesus, God's people were in desperate need of renewal. When Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, there's this experience of being around Jesus where they're experiencing God's presence and they're in this desperate need of that. And Their blood in many ways was filled with the poison of the world and culture around them and God seemed silent. It seemed like God wasn't talking and they were in spiritual decline and they needed to be saved once again. But this time, they wouldn't be saved by a serpent being lifted up on a pole, Jesus says, but it would be God the Son lifted up on a cross. This time, it wouldn't just be for Israel. This time, it would be for the whole world. So that whoever looks upon Jesus on the cross and believes in him will receive eternal life. So God, in his love for the world, sent his only son. And how did the world respond? Well, if you quickly look at verse, eight, verse 18 and 19, the world responded with unbelief. And they loved darkness rather than the light. So if we want renewal... We can't also refuse to accept the things we need to do in order to get it. See, God, like God's people want renewal, but so many of them refuse to believe in Jesus and accept the thing that would actually give that to them. And so you can want renewal, but refuse to accept what you need in order to get it. We all may say we want to be renewed, We want to be spiritually renewed. We want to be spiritually refreshed. We want to see the advancement of the gospel in our our own lives and our world. And then, but Jesus then stands before us and he tells us what we need to do in order to experience it. And we can't help but tighten our grip on the things, the very things that are keeping us from it. We hold on to our unbelief. We hold on to spiritual darkness. Sometimes I like to think about what I'm going to be like when I'm old. Older, okay? So if you're younger here, older. 
And I'm curious what I'm going to be like when I'm an old man. And I'm curious particularly about how stubborn I'm going to be as an old man. I can be kind of stubborn already, as my kids and wife can attest. But what about like 30 years from now? Like how stubborn am I going to be? So if my kids tell me I shouldn't drive anymore or their mom and I shouldn't live anymore, to like live, sorry, live anymore, live alone anymore. Or that we shouldn't live alone anymore. We should move in with them. Or I should call the doctor about that lingering cough that I have. The things they're doing for me and saying to me because they love me, will I humble myself and do it? Or will I be stubborn? And my track record is that I'll double down on being stubborn. See, we may know what we need to do in order to be renewed. We may know the things that we need to give up. We may know we need to believe in Jesus. We may know the actions that we're doing that need to be brought into the light, but we won't do it because our sin deceives us into thinking we don't need it. You can want it, sure, but sin tells us you don't really need it. So we can want renewal, but resist what God asks us to do so we can experience it. And some of us, we need to believe in Jesus. Some of us just need to believe in Jesus for the first time. Some of us need to believe in him the one millionth time. Some of us know we need to move into light, but sin is so deceptive, we think that our unbelief isn't a big deal. Or that the darkness we live in, the spiritual darkness we live in, isn't a big deal. Some of us have actually become so used to living in darkness that our eyes have adjusted. And sure, we can't see as well as we would in the light, but we've learned to live with the darkness. And we'd rather live in the darkness like that than to let our sin go and to remove it. Paul Tripp, who's this famous Christian counselor, he has this quote that I constantly go back to and I constantly remind myself when I tell my sin, tell, my, tell myself my sin isn't that big of a deal. He says, no one swindles you more than you do. No one deceives you more than you do. No one has told more lies to you than you have told to yourself. No one deceives me as much as I deceive me. And what Paul Tripp says is that, you know what's worse? I'm good at it. And so I developed this creepy skill of knowing what lies or what deception or what, like, what schemes work for me. And so many of us are doing the same thing. We tell ourselves things like this, Paul Tripp says. He says, we say things like, it's just my personality. I'm just a loud person. I talk like this all the time. I'm not angry. It makes me mad when you accuse me of being angry. (laughs) It's just me making a point. You know, like one of God's prophets. You've heard of the prophets, right? Or I wasn't, it wasn't lust. I don't lust. I just have an eye for beauty, feminine beauty. 
I don't have to be in control all the time. Don't accuse me of being controlling. I'm just exercising my God-given leadership skills. Or I'm not being jealous and envious. I just want to experience the full range of God's blessing. I told my church this a number of times, but there's a number of times where I've sat across the table from a young man who has an addiction to viewing inappropriate things online. And inevitably, they always say to me when I challenge them to make adjustments and make changes, they say something like, I can't delete that app off my phone. I need that. How am I going to keep up with my friends and family, what they're doing? I say, well, you could call them. You could text them. You could even, like, I don't know, God forbid, like, spend time with them in person. No, I can't do that. Well, I can't put a filter on my computer. I need it for work. And a filter would make it way too inconvenient if I have to go ask my wife for the password. And I've been in stages in my own life where I said that about my sin too. I, I need it. I can't, I, can't, I can't make that change. Because of the deceptiveness of sin, how deceitful it is, we develop this alternate reality where we know we could use God's, profound, God's presence in a profound way, but we won't take the steps necessary to experience it. So even if we know the light would renew us, what did Jesus say? We end up hating the light. Not tolerating the light. Hate the light. And instead we fall in love with the darkness. Because we deceive ourselves into thinking our sin is something that we can control. So for instance, perhaps like the sin you think you control is, is the lies that you, you've told. So you build your life on lies. And you have to constantly remember, when you live a life like that, you have to constantly remember like what lies you've told. And when one of them gets exposed and the truth is revealed, what happens? You scramble to clean up the mess. Or if you're manipulative. You make all your relationships conditional on people doing what you want. This creepy skill that you have to be passive-aggressive and somehow get people to do what you want. But what ends up happening is you, if you live a life of manipulation is you, you end up bailing on someone as soon as they refuse to be manipulated. It's not a real relationship. And so what ends up happening is that relationship, you have to cut that relationship off and you've got to reshuffle the cards and figure out, hey, where find all the people that I can manipulate. Only to find that over time, more and more relationships fall apart because people can't be controlled as easily as you convinced yourself they could. In that situation, is your sin under control? It's not. Or if your heart is filled with anger, you wake up each day looking for something to be outraged about. And you find your heart getting more and more bitter towards everyone, and you'll wake up one day miserable. If you haven't already. Are you really able to control your sin? Or has the sin deceived you into deceiving yourself that you could? And I think Jesus shows it's the latter. Sin deceives us into deceiving ourselves that we can control it. So you can't be renewed by the light of God's presence and hold on to unbelief and darkness at the same time. Jesus is saying you've got to choose one or the other. Belief or unbelief. 
light or darkness. It can't be both. And because we, left to ourselves, choose unbelief in darkness, we'll do it time and time and time again in our renewal. So our renewal can't be driven by us. It has to be driven by God. And that's good news, because if you look at John 3, 16 through 17, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God drives the process of renewal. We love darkness, so we won't do the things for renewal that we need. But God took the initiative. Look at that, those verses again. God loved us so much that God gave his only son. God desired to save us, so God sent his son. It might remind us of Romans 5, 8, where Paul says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God took the initiative. Later, Two verses later, Paul talks about that we were enemies with God. But Jesus reconciled us to him. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 said that we were, says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. So here's the truth. God is holy and is wrathful towards our sin. But the problem is, we're all born with it. We're all born into sin and we deceive ourselves with our sin time and time again. So we aren't on the road to renewal. We're not driving on the road to renewal because instead of loving the light of Jesus, we hate the light of Jesus. We love the darkness. Instead of believing in Jesus, we condemn ourselves by not believing. And so we're on a one-way road from birth to condemnation in hell and separated from Jesus and from God forever. But God stepped in. God took the initiative. God gave up his son for us. So the renewal we need isn't something we in our sin would ever be willing to accept. So it has to be driven by God. He has to do it. God poured out his presence in a profound way throughout history. He did it with Jesus. And if it's ever going to happen to us and for us, it's got to be done by him again. And so renewal then must also be God-centered. So when you look at verse 21, Jesus says this, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in Our works need to be God-centered. We must partner with God in renewal by centering ourselves on him and his work. So when we look around us right now, in America particularly, there's a lot of concern about the church. It seems that the church and our culture is in decline. It's in spiritual decline. Right now, 64% of Americans claim to be Christian. I doubt that statistic in like every way. But 64% of people claim to be Christians. In 50 years, that number could dip below 50%. It's projected to dip below 50%. Talking to most of my pastor friends, giving's down, church attendance is down, small group participation is down. Christians don't seem to have the same influence in America we once had. 
It seems like another pastor or Christian leader each week is caught in some type of scandal or has to resign. With that, statistically, trust in pastors is way down, which is like great news for Casey and my career. <laughs> right? It's great. It's great news. No one trusts pastors anymore. Fantastic. See, we're smaller, less powerful, and less trusted than we've, ever, we've been in years past. And I think you can look at this in two ways. One is that that's only a problem. Like, it's a problem. And we need to do something about it now. Or we can see the decline as a move of God to prepare his church for renewal. It's all about perspective. Because renewal all throughout history has always happened in periods of decline. Always. It doesn't feel good to live through the spiritual decline. Don't get me wrong. But God doesn't stop working. He hasn't given up on his church. He hasn't given up on you or me. And like he was for 400 years between the Old and New Testament, he's preparing his people for a sense of his presence in a profound way. Think about that. 400 years of silence. 400 years. Like I freak out when my Amazon package gets delayed. Imagine like God's presence being poured out or his speaking in, in, like, through the prophets and in scripture be something we don't receive for 400 years. Like that would be excruciating. But he doesn't stop working. He's still working in that. So we must be centered on him and what he's doing. And as we desire to see him pour out his presence in a profound way. So what would renewal look like? Just starting out, what would it look like? It starts with centering our hearts and our minds on Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf to rescue us from sin and to bring us out of darkness into the light. And when we do that, we can begin to partner with God by believing in Jesus. Not a belief that we have at once upon a time in this one moment, but as an every moment decision. That in every situation, every, every moment of life that I'm in, I have to decide, do I believe in Jesus and what he said, or do I not? And living a life that desires to bring my sin into the light by confessing it and repenting from it to God and to others. And not experiencing condemnation when I do, because when I believe in Jesus, I don't experience condemnation from God. I experience his love. So if God is preparing us for renewal, and I hope that he is, we need to ask ourselves specifically, what is our attitude toward the light? What's our attitude? Do we hate it? Or do we welcome it? As God shines the light on the church in America and across the world. And things are, the dark places in our churches and in, in the churches in America and churches around the world and Christian organizations, as the light is being shown and, and the things that are evil and the, the evil works that are being done are being revealed, do we hate that? Or do we welcome it? When God shines the light on our hearts and wants to clean us up, and reveal the things that are hidden, that are evil in our hearts, and the sin that's deceiving us. 
Do we hate that? Or do we welcome it? Jesus says that those who do what is true welcome the light. But those who love the darkness of their sin hate the light because they fear being exposed. I remember I had an accountability partner in college and I always feared my sin being exposed. So what I would do is that I would always try to talk about everything else in my life because I didn't want my sin to be exposed. I didn't want to have to talk about it. I didn't welcome the light. Tried to always throw him off the scent. Fortunately, he was a great guy and he saw what I was doing and would always ask me about the things that we talked about before. But I wasn't welcoming the light. I was hiding from it. I hated it. So as we partner with God in renewal, let's work to first renew ourselves individually by believing in Jesus as God's answer to our condemnation and living in the light by exposing our sin and doing what is true. But also, we need to work for renewal with each other in our churches, with other Christians, to tell a condemned world about God's love for them in Jesus and help spread the light of Jesus so that sin can be exposed and our world can see Jesus look on his cross and be saved. See, renewal comes when we better understand the truth about God and ourselves. So then let's also be a people of prayer. Let's be praying that God will pour out his presence in each of us, as well as in our church, our city, and our world, and that he would do it in a profound way. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would pour out your presence in us and in our world in a profound way. I ask that for my own life, I ask that you would reveal the dark places of my heart that need the light, expose my sin, and may I fall at Jesus' feet and ask for your forgiveness. I pray for us as we face times of unbelief and we are belie- those of us who aren't believing in Jesus and what he says and what he's done, I pray that you would give us belief, that you would heal us from our unbelief and draw us to yourself. Renew us, Father. We thank you for this church. We pray that the gospel be continue to be proclaimed from it. And we ask that you would be with us as we head into the rest of our weeks, as we seek our best to be faithful to you. And we ask that you would give us the grace to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.